millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I am a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, who is feeling socially distanced today, Michael Hamflit. <laughs> but you know what it is? Even if I feel like the most socially distanced human on planet Earth, doesn't matter because you can still call me the front of the goddamn player, Michael, because hey. we are all business. I always say you can call me it, but you can call us it. It's me yeah. and you, together, socially distanced. I've grown attached to that front end. You of have. After, you after, have. A, after a rocky start, you know. Listen, don't think I haven't noticed that you pretend <laughs> that you pretend that this is a hardship for you and then you actually end up enjoying yourself. You'd be sad if I didn't do it. You'd be I've sad. Accustomed to finer things. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what this podcast has done. Uh, finer things. Well, speaking of finer things, you can come and find our things, us. That's good enough, isn't it? It's you can find it's a pass. Hey, it's been a long week. <laughs> he says. Uh, you can find us on all social media uh, at Podcast Horseman on Twitter, Instagram. Come and share your thoughts. Come and harass us. Come and tell us your favorite things. Maybe just come and talk to us because we're lonely. <laughs> <laughs> you can also follow your hosts on Twitter at it's Adam Nicholas for me, or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit, and you can listen to the podcast on all the usual places you get your podcasts. You can listen along on Spotify. Uh, you can follow on there. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and we really would love you to subscribe. We don't beg you to sign up to our Patreon. We try not to bombard you with sponsors, but things like subscriptions and reviews really, really help us. They appear in the searches. They appear in the algorithms. You can catch us on the Twitter feed, as Nicholas mentioned, through the Acast app or on Stitcher or on Podbean or pretty much anywhere you get your podcast, just so you can talk yourself horse about a talking horse. As usual, if you send us a review, a five-star review, and leave a few notes saying what you think of the podcast, you stand a chance of getting inducted into our Hollywood Talk of Fame just for leaving a five-star review. Get a nice little star that will get sent out to you on the socials. We won't be inducting one this week, though. Well, normally, this would be the part where I would say to you, okay, now that's wonderful. I love the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Let's go and do the Netflix synopsis. But there is no Netflix synopsis this week because for anybody who has been paying attention to the title, I'm sure, of this, this yeah, podcast. <laughs> yeah, we it's, can't do that little like ambiguous bit, can yeah, we? Because they've already pressed play. <laughs> they've already pressed this. Yeah, I've just realised. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, look, we'll learn as we go, Michael. We'll learn yeah, as we go. Sorry. But that's going to be the theme of this week's podcast, actually, because we are, for the first time in podcast horseman history, going to do our full season review, which is obviously mm-hmm. slightly different to usual. Uh, normally, it would be episode by episode. This will be us 
recapping all of season one uh, and what's kind of happened to everybody in season one. Now, I should preface this by saying that uh, normally we would have had obviously lots of prep and we would take lots of notes, wouldn't we, Michael? And we'd have yes. lots of wonderful stuff to talk about. However, we want to talk about the episode more casually this week because mm-hmm. the, you've, you've had all the tidbits from us and you can go and find them on the episode by episode review. We want to talk about the stuff that's kind of, that we remember, that the stuff that's been impactful enough throughout the season that has kind of lasted long in the memory. So really, if this show is as good as we say it is, Michael, then a lot of the good stuff should stick. And we want to sort of focus on the characters, what where they started when we first got them and maybe whereabouts they are now in the show and, and as much of the notable things that have happened in between. Also, I should point out, because we are both socially distanced, this helps us a lot, doesn't it, Michael? Because it, it's it's hard enough finding time to do things. Initially, it's even yes. harder to find time to do things about 12 episodes. So hopefully you'll be happy with that. And if you aren't, well, stick with it anyway, because I guarantee you, you're going to have a good time. Yes, my children, by the virtue of being my children, were not born orphans. But when they were first born, I did indeed put my head out the hatch and say, live with me. And <laughs> I've been mostly fine with that decision for all of their young lives until right about now. So this is certainly a release. But as you point out, we're going without notes. This is the front and the back end of the plane because we are flying blind for one week. But if indeed the show is everyone that we said it is, it should give us plenty to talk about. And this feels like I'm setting up a cut to you gag from an episode horse in a round where we suddenly go silent. But I'm sure we won't. So, classic Bojack is where we'd normally start with plots. So, where else better to start than with Bojack Horseman? He was, of course, a actor that in the very first scene of the very first episode, he was asked what he'd been doing with his life for the last 30 years. And we had to learn pretty quick that it was nothing other than being extremely bitter um, through his uses of his various vices, such as sex and drugs and alcohol. We just saw a struggling actor struggling to cope. It was all pretty much... A struggle. You could even argue that the first couple of episodes put that across through not necessarily being the Bojack Horseman, the TV show that we would grow very quickly to love. It is indeed the show that you try and sell people. You you might even say like it's worth making a podcast over just to get your point across. But it's a show that you sell to people because it feels like those first couple are indeed the show and Bojack Horseman, the character, finding their feet. Um, which are very well shod because he is, of course, a horse. Um, It just takes a little bit of time to eke out those little wrinkles in the story, the little wrinkles in the plot that take a long time to flesh out. But I would say on this rewatch, what it taught me was those are more purpose-serving than I ever realised. It can't be all summed up in one episode. You're not going to get a perfect, clean pilot because these are not perfect, clean characters. Certainly not the titular one, certainly not Bojack. Yeah, the whole the whole premise of this show really is that it's not like every show that's a sitcom, that's a cartoon that you've watched before, isn't it? That's the no. idea. They play on the tropes quite heavily, but the whole from the word go, as you say, we get told literally within the show that not everything ties up in a nice neat is not going to tie up in a nice neat thirty minutes. That's mm-hmm. that's episode one. You get that. Yeah. And they, to be fair, as advertised, <laughs> not, there's no real happy endings. There's no real tie-ups. There's no real sort of lovely flowing symmetry to these things. There are moments that are beautifully written, but we take a while to get there. As you say, when we first get Bojack, though, you kind of—it's a difficult thing to kind of sell to begin with, isn't it? I mean, mm. you've got like you've got this character who essentially—it's the show about a depressed horse—is what a lot of people always call this show, and that in itself is a strange enough intro point. The first yeah. couple of episodes, a lot of people always say, like, oh, I'm not sure about it. I don't know what's... But actually, the patience that they take and the sort of 
the slow build approach to sort of giving us these characters is what ultimately leads us into these huge, huge payoffs, both emotionally and hilariously, later on in the season. Yeah, it's for sure that Oswald's mocks a lot of Hollywood, and obviously it would become Hollywood. Uh, it's a show that can't be delivered in an elevator pitch. It flies in the face of all those things that we're told on the outside of how the Hollywood machine works. Things need to be quick. Everything's got to be sold in 10 seconds or less. The concept, the execution, and how it's going to look because there's budgets on the line, there's finances at play. Bojack fights against that in its very in the very way that it plots out its characters. You can't, over one episode, know everything about what this show is going to be, nor does it really want you to. It asks for your investment. And whilst that causes certain frustrations to the fans, and you see this if you dig in online, a lot of people seem to have had the same story. Like, their friends have said to them, ah, oh, I gave the first couple of episodes a go, but I couldn't just get into it. I think it's because it doesn't link itself to anything before or since. What you think, I think, if anything, it plays on viewers' prejudices because of what they think going in. They're waiting for uh, a South Park or a Simpsons or a Family Guy or even... Um, like real life shows that aren't animated but are about themes around Hollywood, um, maybe Entourage or things of that nature. Mm. It's none of those, and yet it's so much more. But I'd say by episodes three or four in our rewatch, we realised that we were already there. Well, a story I don't think I've shared with this podcast, but certainly I think I've shared with you. Uh, the first time I ever tried to watch Bojack Horseman, I had this exact moment. Uh, I went in, I think I was with a couple of mates, and we were just looking for something funny to watch like while we had a takeaway or something like that. Hmm. And uh, it was 2014 and Bojack had just come out and I knew Aaron Paul was in it. And I'd just obviously come off the bat of watching Breaking Bad and was like, okay, cool, let's watch this show. And within five minutes, I switched it off because I, it, it wasn't what I went there looking for, as you said. And I've, if you've ever read the, um, I think it's the Art the art of the Horse book, the Bojack Horseman, the Art of the Horse, or the Art Before the Horse, mm -hmm. Um Raphael Bob Waxberg talks about it in there and basically says like they were trying to create something that was going to be different, but they couldn't really, they couldn't fully commit to that just yet because they needed to get people in. Like you had to get people in the door. So you give them little tidbits and like a, a clue as to what the direction was going to be. But when they signed on all the actors to do this show, they weren't necessarily sit, like they didn't have any clue how dark it was going to get. That was like, mm. like it was perhaps suggested and like, the maybe the surface level of darkness was was perhaps hinted at, shall we say. <laughs> but the direction that the show went in, nobody was ready for that because that's not what uh, RBW knew that he had to get people in the door first before they then they gave you the show that we have now. And that's essentially that's the hardest part, isn't it? And as you say, the yeah. amount of people who've dropped off after three episodes because they switched on and they found that we have this horse who was stuck in his depression because he's had this famous career in the nineties. And then he's on the massive come down from that and is literally a washed up has been maybe wasn't the show they went looking for. Well, what I think is pretty brave as well, it's 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 very clearly a decision. But season one is bookended by us learning a lot about horsing around, the thing that made Bojack a star, and uh PB Living, the startup company formed by Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd. And we'll talk about them in detail a little bit later. But by inserting those two things into the show, very much as bookends of season one. Bojack Horseman, the television show, can't be like them because it mocks them. It ruthlessly mocks them. It tears, tears strips off the Hollywood machine for creating these things in the first place. It takes a pop at Herb Kazaz for being a hack comedy writer. So if you're having a pop at a hack comedy writer, you can't then become a hack comedy. Yeah. If you're using devices to mock the Hollywood filmmaking machine and the way it tries to put across 
fake emotions, then you can't be a show with fake emotions. Otherwise, you are mocking the very thing that you've kind of like you've set out to become. So I quite I'm, I admire those decisions. I admire that it puts those things on platforms just to tear those platforms down. It's the fact that it commits so heavily to the, let's be honest, the scrutiny that's going to open up because anybody within the real life world of Hollywood who is watching this fictional world of Hollywood, as we end mm. up calling it, like they aren't going to know, like they're not certainly they're going to be like watching and waiting for them to slip up because yeah. this is a bold statement. This is like begging to have the make the uh, the magnifying glass put on yourself because you are basically saying these are the bad things in Hollywood. And we now have to create a show that is going to both like put them to pasture, if you'll pardon the pun. But then they're also going to try and be they're trying to set essentially a new standard that they can be the bearers of. Well, I mean, I suppose as well, if we just to track Bojack's linear thread through season one, he starts as a character who is only really self-destructive from what we can see anyway. The, the decisions he takes are mostly mostly going to affect him, even if they kind of bring others down in the process. And we will get to those poor, poor others that are in Bojack's orbit as we go along. But then gradually his decisions impact the people closest to him. They impact people that he hasn't been close to for years but would find new closeness with. And yet everything feels so incredibly explosive right to the very end of the season where he's kind of blown up his own life. Like everything that he's, we've we've basically been asked to be the avatar for this show, but that speaks to what you're saying there. In Hollywood, people looking at the show and scrutinizing it, they might say, well then, how are they making a hero out of Bojack Horseman? How are they making an anti-hero? But they're not. Mm. The one hero in the show is Diane Nguyen, and Bojack begs of her at the end of the show, tell me, at the end of the season, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good. And it turns out that the, the character, the, the titular character of the show isn't an avatar at all, because why otherwise would he be begging for acceptance at the very end? Well, this is the thing. From the second we meet him, this you, we get that interaction with him and Diane from the word go at the, in episode one. That's where we know the, the big through line here, isn't it? Poor Jack is a lonely horse who is stuck in the past, and mm. essentially they're trying to get the book written, aren't they? That he's yeah. going to write the memoir. And we get Diane Nguyen who comes in and she is presented to us as the muse. She's this woman who's kind of got her shit together, for mm-hmm. want of a better phrase. And she is coming to sort of get this story out of Bojack for better or for worse. That's the project to start. And by the end of it, obviously, we end up, we have the book. Diane and Bojack get to know each other very well. We figure out their relationship is one that kind of defines the show ultimately because it's the through line throughout this. Diane, as we've said many, many times, she becomes... The absolute truth, the the one thing that is real amongst the whole world of, <laughs> of complete and utter falseness and fakeness and fiction, mostly throughout throughout mm. the entire show. Um, and we see how she's the one that's able to get all of this out of Bojack and ultimately make him make him a better person, or certainly try to set him on the road to making him a better person. Whether he achieves that or not is certainly up for debate. It's explored at the very end of the episode, after, at the very end of the season, sorry, after Bojack and Diane have had their biggest row, yeah. that Bojack admits to Diane that why he hated her version of the book was because he hated that she'd seen him for who he actually was, mm. which is such a, a layered take on some self-reflection of a character that at times has been a complete narcissist. We learn that as much as we've made this joke and we feel like it's something that's too pointed for them not to have made the joke on purpose, that he is a horse that runs around with blinkers on, he is in fact doing that to silence the voices in his head rather than other people's voices because he does know exactly who he is. And the idea that Diane might have clocked who that is is something that makes him feel sick 
because he might have fallen in love with Diane Nguyen a little bit. He might have felt a kindred spirit in Diane because they've shared moments where they both feel above the Hollywood visage, which is, of course, why they find themselves always on high, on roofs, when they're having those moments together. And it just sort of feels as if he wants to be on her level and it troubles him that he can't be. And I just think it's interesting that on Diane, she's the first character that comes into this show where you are reminded that they are going to both use and then completely subvert the standard television tropes. We have, as you pointed out very early on, by very much naming a Diane, there's a call to Sam and Diane. You are immediately put in the mind of a will they, won't they. Theirs is a meet cute. They meet at a party, sharing their stories of how they both hate these parties before Diane's boyfriend is introduced just minutes later. And da, 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 it's Bojack's theoretical arch nemesis. Like all of these things are very sort of standard in sitcom world, in yeah. animated show world. And yet by the end of the series, they could not have subverted it anymore. The character that has had the meet cute within episode one is married halfway through. She is immediately, theoretically at least, off the table. She is somebody that has wrote a book that has highlighted every single one of his very intrinsic flaws. She is somebody that he has sacked to her face in a moment of rage. They've gone through an entirely different gamut of emotions that, let's say, a Ross and Rich or indeed Sam and Diane wouldn't have done because that's never really how television used to approach these things. Even putting them in this typical like love triangle, how many times mm. have we seen that in a show? A love triangle where yeah. like, it's suddenly the, the, we've got this lead character, this male lead character, most importantly, who we see there's a male, there's another male with a woman, and ultimately the prize is going to be the woman. That's like... How many shows did this? Yeah, How many shows it. did this over mm -hmm. and over again? It's not by accident. Every single thing they put in the Bojack is done deliberately, as you mentioned earlier, because they want to tear down all the, the concepts that we've had of Hollywood and of sitcoms and of everything of that nature up to this point. They're kind of trying to rewrite history a little bit, yeah, mm. because because it needs to be. It's it was it was 2014 then. It's 2020 now, and some of these things are even more important now than they were when the show was trying to do them then. It's funny, like, you kind of reference that women as a prize thing as well, because as, it's so tricky because they do at times want you to wear Bojack's emotions and be, like, live the show through him briefly. Mm. And then when you do that, and then Diane cuts down Bojack for something very real and very real feeling, you yourself feel that a little bit you are suddenly wearing you're not just wearing something that went well for Bojack that day you're wearing something he's done very very wrong and it it gets to you quite personally and even sort of it even asks you the viewer the question well hang on were you holding Diane up as the prize for yourself or holding Diane up as the prize for Bojack and then it reminds you oh, I need to not look at the world that way I need to not think of it that way it actually does it it slaps you in the face with it in episode one because of the way Bojack mistreats Princess Carolyn Mm. Um, and her journey from where she begins kind of at Bojack's heel in episode one to her trying to break away from it by the end of the series. But on in both occasions, the females closest to Bojack are the ones that you were told, if indeed you are deciding to live his journey, as the ones to not be so patronising towards and not be so condescending towards. They are so much more important than the, the status that you have placed on them as a viewer. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the key things that we touched on it so many times this season in particular. Uh, the amount of care that the show takes to kind of really put the spotlight on how for how long and for how wrong it has been that the, the whole world in general, but we'll focus on Hollywood and Hollywood for the time being, has just been a completely male-dominated area where men have just had it their own way and women have really had the, 
to kind of work hard to get any tiny little inch or sliver of anything mm. in the world. And even then, they're still being overlooked by these men who are presented, by not by accident. Almost every man, I think, in this show that I've seen so far, maybe all of them, is an absolute idiot. Like, yeah. an, an absolute idiot. Yes, some of them are in positions of power, but the majority of them are stupid men making stupid decisions and 50% of them are being made with a penis. The effort that's going into this show to try and re reprogram the way you look at, at people, at characters in shows, specifically women in shows, and mm -hmm. I know Lisa, Lisa Hannawald had a massive hand to play in this. Um, she's like she's even mentioned previously in an interview uh, with, it's like a Netflix documentary that she was part of. She, do you remember the scene? There's a scene in, uh, in one of the episodes where there's a dog the, uh, the car drives past and the dog's mouth like gets whooshed by yes. the width of the car yeah. and the slaver goes on. It's a woman. Mm -hmm. um, she actually talks about how she had a big argument with everybody in the writing team about this because uh, they wanted to make both characters male because they felt like the joke only worked if it was males with the idea that women couldn't be gross. Women weren't allowed to be gross. They had to be like in different jokes, but toilet humour and stupid like slaver-related humour like that wasn't mm -hmm. for them. Essentially, and this is a this is 2014. Lisa Hannibal's part of the team that's making a show that's trying to be better, and she says she's having to have those fights within mm. the writing room. So that you know for a fact, these there's driving forces there that have really gone through a conscious effort to make this a big deal. And I have to say, man, out of you know, the, while Bojack Bojack's name may be on the title of the show, the stars of the show for me up to this point. Are like Princess Carolyn and uh, obviously more specifically Diane, but these two do things in this show that a lot of the other characters just haven't managed to fathom yet. Yeah, Princess Carolyn is in a slightly different position to Diane in that ultimately she has kind of made a bit of a choice, as you say. Every everything is made harder for women in Hollywood, whereas Diane is a struggling writer. The key word there is struggling. She is struggling because she is trying to hold on to her morals and her ethics yeah. and her beliefs and the things that she knows she does really well over kind of taking a few shortcuts just to try and get a foot on the ladder. Princess Carolyn is slightly different. She's maybe used up a couple of those nine lives to get going in the uh, in the world. We obviously see through a uh, flashback that she was once uh, an assistant at, in a male-dominated PR agency, mm. and now she, Bojack is her most difficult client. She want, has to jump through all sorts of hoops to help. And we see very early on when Sarah Lynn is introduced as a kind of uh, Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus prototype celebrity with loads of hanger honors, Andrew Garfield, a boyfriend. Princess Carolyn has it in her to try and take the shortcuts to get the clientele because she's an agent and it's in her. Mm. But that disappears a bit because... We know that about her now, and it's very important that that isn't the central focus. Her heart is way more important than her business head, and I think that becomes what's focused upon as the show goes on. It's as if it needed to get that out of its system for reality rather than for who she was, what she was going to be defined by. Yes, she's an agent. Yes, Hollywood forces her sometimes to sell herself out, and indeed through her sexual relationship with Bojack, maybe sell her personal life out a little bit for the greater good. But once those things are out the way and swept aside by the third or fourth episode, it becomes so much about the fact that a woman is putting her heart and soul into a role and is not at all being rewarded by a system that constantly like marginalises her efforts. Absolutely, and the, I think the fact that we it's very deliberate that they give us Princess Carolyn early on, we know there's a complicated relationship there between her and Bojack, but 
they start off by showing us that she is a really good agent. She's got mm. all the skills. She's got all the gift of the gab. She can talk anybody into a room and get what she wants. She tricks Sarah Lynn essentially into, into going with her arch nemesis so she can ultimately get the prize that she wants in episode three where she wants to sign Andrew Garfield as her client. Like mm. These are all things we're shown. And then about around about after that moment, we get a little bit of humanity from Princess Carolyn. We see the heart she has. We see how much she cares for Bojack. There's obviously something there. He almost talks her into them two being in a relationship again after he realises that maybe him and Diane isn't something that's going to work out. This shows that on purpose because we need to know that, Diane, that Princess Carolyn is more than just this robotic agent. There is, yeah. she's, she's very good at her job, which means she can sort of separate the two, as she jokingly points out in the very first episode, I think it is, where she gets thrown out of Bojack's car <laughs> and then immediately picks the phone up to call him as his agent, not as his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> um, but then her decision to then go back, we see that little glimmer because when they ultimately force her back into becoming, as she says, the robotic Princess Carolyn, after she has that near miss with Bojack and decides she's going to close her heart off again and just be back to being a business, a businesswoman first and foremost. It's very deliberate because we need to see that she's had to put that on the line, hasn't she? If she yeah. starts like it's not the same is what is what I keep saying in this show is it's not the same for women and it's. No. Maybe a message that I do, people might think is being overplayed, and I don't think it's being played enough sometimes because you need to hit people over the head with it. Specifically, you need to hit us men over the head with it because we aren't, a lot of people aren't aware of it. When it comes to things like relationships, Bojack is like, hey, you can just fall in and out of bed with anybody you want with these characters, and you don't really bat an eyelid, do you? But no. you get this moment with Princess Carolyn where she almost, her and Bojack almost end up in a proper relationship she almost wants to commit to that and just stop trying to be business carolyn and it backfires on her spectacularly and she has to then make a conscious choice whereas the men seem to be able to have that cake and eat it she has to juggle both which she can do but ultimately is much more difficult for there's a very specific gag that references that exact set scenario isn't there bojack is stood there with the award in his hand mm. and a female fan comes up to him to talk about his book and he kind of blows that entire like genuine earnest adoration off to try and get the woman to come back to his house when she says no she feels guilty about it it's as if yeah. she's made a sacrifice to turn him down and he just turns his head so then this girl in the bar and says how about you and she says okay yeah so that like in that one scene we've seen that the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice of a female fan just to just feel awkward to turn down this skeevy old actor she dared to be complimentary towards mm. only for him to immediately like sort of disassociate himself from that interaction entirely and move on to the next one princess carolyn's sacrifices are obviously at, at times her morals and her ethics to get clients at other times her heart and her deep love that we've clearly seen that she's got for Bojack and her, her, her basically her sacrificing of her heart because she has to accept that he's not ever going to be the one, no matter how hard she tries. And what's pretty cool, to go back to a point you made about ultimately all men being thick idiots, and there's not enough shows that make that point clear enough, <laughs> um, not least Podcast Horsemen, but like, <laughs> like all men are thick idiots. And ultimately what's quite nice is that by the end of season one, she's been able to capitalise on that because she has used Thick Idiots very higher up to hire her most difficult Thick Idiot, Bojack Horseman. Off the side of that, through Bojack being a Thick Idiot, with a Thick Idiot mate called Todd, she's been able to hire him as a client and, again, get him work because the entire industry is made up of Thick Idiot men that just want to hire other Thick Idiot men. So Princess Carolyn is finally getting to win some, but it requires everybody to be completely stupid. But stupid is sometimes a nice quality. 
And that it is, does isn't it? bring us to Todd, doesn't there it? There you go. Where do we start with Todd? Where do we start with Todd? Well, you've got Todd. And if you want to talk about stupid, you've got to talk about Todd. <laughs> and you've got to talk about Mr. Peanut Butter. Because by trade, he's a dog. So he's got to fall into that category. I won't get sidetracked immediately. Let's focus on Todd first. But these two do, of course, wonderfully come together. Because mm. never mind misery, stupidity loves company, Michael. <laughs> and in this case... It's two lads with two brain cells that are trying to bash together to make something happen by the end of the season. Stupidity loves company, and that company is PB Living. <laughs> Absolutely. The um, the show begins with Todd, very much. Uh, you will notice in the pilot episode, a lot of the characters are fractionally different to what they end up being, aren't they? Because mm. they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, Todd, at the very beginning, is presented as much more of a... a like, Todd throughout this show is the wisdom in a weird like way. He's this wisdom character who just floats through life with mm. these good lessons for people, even if he sometimes falls into them by accident. Again, things just happen for men. <laughs> <laughs> but, but ultimately, in the first episode, Todd is like presented that way, but less comically, if you know what I mean. Mm. He's like, to Bojack, he's this guy who's he's trying to push him in the right direction, but ultimately, that's not who Todd ends up being. Todd ends up being this guy who's on Bojack's couch and is just there because he's there, essentially. Mm. Um, but we find throughout the show, from that point on, from episode one through to episode like 12, Todd's ridiculous, ridiculous nature as a person that leads him into various, <laughs> in various capers that will then end up having an effect on the, the bigger... He's always in the, the B storyline for the majority of it, and he always ends up having an impact in some way, shape, or form on everything that's happening with another stupid person, Bojack Horseman. It's it's weird because Todd, again, this is a show about contrasts and about conflicts and about uh, where like a character doesn't just have to be one thing because this show, despite being animated, is far, far from one-dimensional. And Todd, as you say, he's got that wisdom. He's got that kind of wanderer's wisdom. It feels like he's seen and done the world at its very lowest level. I think we touched on it in early reviews about how Obviously, by him sleeping on Bojack's couch to begin with, there's implication that perhaps he was homeless or perhaps he'd spent time just having to watch the world pass him by. But the things he picked up in that time were more valuable than anything Bojack had seen in this sterile Hollywood bubble. Um, but, yeah, instead, because he's so real as a character, his adventures are the most cartoonish. They're the points at which you can use and abuse this form, this medium of animation, to the nth degree. And again, it's there to wrong foot you. It's there to just take your breath away. When you're ready for Todd to be the smartest guy in the room, he then goes and does the stupidest thing that you could possibly do. And there are so many wonderful examples of that that they can always use that, and they do indeed in season one as a punchline almost. So to learn of Todd's addiction to Decapathon, this game that has torn his life apart, that has separated him from friends, the family, it's akin to somebody developing a heroin addiction for all intents and purposes, the way that that destroys his life. And then we see that that game is Tetris, is one of the is one of the great <laughs> early comic reveals on this show. Um, not least because they've dressed the game up as this bloodthirsty warlord's sex and violence game that we would be used to in modern gaming to see a man in 2014 or maybe say 2012 just have his world torn apart by a game of Tetris. It's hilarious. We see that he is backdoored into the movie industry only to find himself coming up with anything but film ideas when he gets that opportunity. There are countless cases where the joke is humongous because Todd is just that thick. That decapathon payoff that we mm. waited weeks and weeks and weeks for, that in old sitcoms 
would have been the thing that would have torn these characters apart. It's safe to say when I was watching this, I remember thinking that's going to be the season one cliffhanger or the this is going to be the things that come between Todd and Bojack. No, no, no. It's blown off in one episode where Todd is basically given the information that Bojack has screwed him and yet still has to do a wire-esque police board with countless <laughs> things connected by red rope, also reminiscent of Charlie Day, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, of course. Yeah. Countless things pulled together by red cotton that goes so far off the map that they're no longer related to the receipt that was gonna that was the smoking gun that he had under his couch. <laughs> Only with a character like Todd, the wisest, can this show get stupid. It's it's incredible the way they continue to do it, and they use him for so many different things that it's such a deep and such a dark show at the best of times. So you need that like comic relief that Todd offers in many different forms, but also. I don't think there's anybody in the show who has like Mr. Peanut Butter has a similar like a, follows a similar path of just mm. following the thread and seeing where it goes. But with Todd, he literally the amount of times he falls into something by accident and it ends up he's had like three amazing careers within this like <laughs> like they just had handed to him on a plate because he was in the right place at the right time. And they give him this weird uh this wisdom thing I've mentioned, they give him this on purpose. People are drawn to Todd as a character, is like people in the world of Hollywood are drawn to Todd's weird, whatever the magnetism is, mm. they're drawn to it because as he turns up on the set and Bojack disappears, he people find him to be perfect for the Guten Bernard. Like he gets put in that, no problem straight away. When we see him on the set uh, of the the film that Mr. Peanut Butter is doing, uh, Quentin Tarantulino is drawn to Todd's literal face. He likes his face <laughs> and, and kisses him on the face after he comes up with. Like some, loves him. Like he loves like him. Adores him. Absolutely <laughs> loves him. Gives him a gives him an eight hand clap because he's so happy with him because of what he's contributed to. Obviously, he ends up turning this film again. Stupid ideas that are coming out of Todd's head, but people just, are just drawn to Todd. They use him as this weird mystic. You mentioned it earlier, where he's like this sort of. Sort of a wise, homeless character is like that weird guru character you get where he's seen the world, he's done loads of stuff, and maybe he has knowledge that other people haven't experienced. But it's not even that sometimes. He's just <laughs> in the right place at the right time, and he gets the best. We've I've met Todd's. I've met people like Todd who just fall in and out of life. And I, I tell you what, I've never met a Todd who's a woman, ever. Now that I think about <laughs> it, never in my life have I met that. And that surely is a massive statement there. I certainly think in terms of a workplace thing, you, the point you mentioned about obviously the Guten Bourbon thing, the, the film roles, and obviously everything that spins off with PB Living, um, it's interesting that he links up with Mr. Peanut Butter because he kind of feels like a dog. There's that reaction that people have when a dog walks in a room where everything stops because the dog's here. He's every Hollywood destination's office dog. That person that just stops work that stops life because people want to pet the dog people want to stroke the dog people now want to set up twitter accounts rating dogs 11 out of 10 like <laughs> should, there, should there be a rate my todd on twitter where every todd gets 11 <laughs> out of 10 because his hat looks nice today well, or because his curated box of snacks is the best snack or something like that we'll have to revisit that on Toddcast horseman that'll be a different <laughs> thing altogether uh but right now michael <laughs> it's reviewing season one i'll tell you what it is about could you, I know they use this joke in like episode two, but you could almost argue that when these two come together, Todd is the literal jelly to Mr. Peanut Butter, isn't he? Like, <laughs> Very nice. Peanut Butter and jelly go together. I'm not even, that's not even me exaggerating. They just come together and it's almost like Mr. Peanut Butter is so thick, that, <laughs> that, which is funny in itself. 
uh, is so thick that Todd is the one pitching these quote-unquote genius ideas, and he is absolutely in awe of it. These are two, <laughs> these are two men, Michael, who should not be left alone because they are not responsible. And, and when left alone, the only two people to bounce off is one another, and they have both got two flies inside their heads who are trying <laughs> to steer the ship. Has this ever happened to you? No, it's <laughs> the peanut butter is smooth and nutty. Oh, here he comes. So the thing with Mr. Peanut Butter is obviously he's, I would argue that of all the characters in season one of Bojack, he's the only one that you just sense the staff felt was slightly wrong from episode one. And they, and they rapidly addressed that year. When you, when you watch Bojack Horseman the first time, obviously you're forming your opinions the first time, when you watch it back the second time or the third time, or you do a podcast on it and then you watch it back again, you find that you're, you're seeing from the very beginning that you yourself, the viewer wasn't, weren't giving really enough credit to Bojack. Bojack was fully fleshed out. You just weren't with him as a viewer and you you can like watch that backwards and engineer that for yourself. Peanut Butter is the only one where I would say in episode one, because he was designed to be the the sort of the fly in the ointment of the Bojack and Diane relationship, he's kind of a Hollywood douchebag a little bit. He's yeah. a little, he seems, his insincerity feels more in line with that kind of dickhead that we've all met rather than somebody that is just, a bit thick, a bit, the, a bit daft. He's the hot. He's like the every jock you've seen in every mm. high school film. That's what he is. He's the jock boyfriend yeah. who is with the girlfriend who isn't really of the jock like nature, but she's gonna figure out one day that she shouldn't be with him and she should be with the other guy. That's what we're presented with in episode one. It's that exact trope you've seen it a million times on TV shows and in films. That's what you think you're gonna get. Mister Peanut Butter though changes so dramatically from episode one, even from episode one to episode two. Bojack and Princess Caroline are literally having a, a conversation where they're breaking up in episode one uh, at, a, at a dinner table, I think it is. And Peanut Butter is such a dick in episode one that he says, oh, is this, is this an awkward time? And he's like, yeah, it is. And he's like, oh, well, so it'll be really awkward if I just sat down here then. And he sits down at the table. Yeah. Whereas as we get through the season, I don't think Mr. Peanut Butter would do that. As we get further through the season, Peanut Butter is the kind of guy who would feel really super conscious about it. And while he's thick, yes, he might sit down not realising it's awkward. But That's it. He, he sits down out of a vindictive nature in episode one. Mm. I don't think we get that in seasons two through to 12 because that's not who the character is. But that's who he was initially written as in the pilot. And it ultimately, he becomes a very good boy. He becomes he? a very good <laughs> After a but, difficult first year of being a pup. <laughs> he gets well trained. And I think, but I think what's great about that is that what we, what the what the real purpose of Mr. Peanut Butter is in season one is to be the yin to Bojack's yang for all of his relationship to Diane and ultimately his marriage to Diane and how he kind of finds Todd and it's like the two of them come together and it's, it's but what's great by the way about him and Todd finding each other through Bojack because he was the guy that he's the, in their minds he's the centre of their Venn diagram where he couldn't really hate them anymore so when they bring their dreadful ideas it's always to him the one person that has never given them an ounce of praise is there's something about the constant comparisons that we see in the way that peanut butter is taking the high road and bojack is taking the low road and peanut butter gets to everything before bojack yeah and now we've managed to get to he's managed to get to todd's wisdom before bojack too the, the brilliant thing here is that as you mentioned there uh with bojack and mr peanut butter these are the two guys who represent one guy who's committed to trying to play the game in hollywood Hollywood, as it becomes, and mm. you've got one guy who is openly trying to reject the game of Hollywood. He hates it. He's done it. He's sick of it, and he's he thinks he's above it all. 
as we've mentioned, and things don't happen for him because he shuts all the doors. He deliberately, he's a no-man. He's a no-man and prince, uh, Princess Peanut Butter. He's a no-man. <laughs> what a wonderful character that would be. He's a no-man and Mr. Peanut Butter is a yes-man. And ultimately, well, that's the two parallel careers that we see where things are happening for Peanut Butter and they aren't happening for Bojack. We then see the friendship that should have happened between Bojack and Todd happens between Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd. Like, that's what, like, that is a perfectly healthy, happy, very stupid, but it's a good friendship. Like, that is some two guys who really enjoy each other's company, who, like, they share the same interests, they can have a good time. It's exactly what Bojack could have had with Todd if he just even remotely gave him an, like an inch of it, an ounce of attention. That's all mm. he needed. A tiny little bit of attention and he could have such a good running buddy. And yet, all he, he ends up having to watch that happen and ultimately, these two end up encroaching on his life further. The guy who <laughs> Bojack, Bojack considers to be his literal rip-off in every way, shape and form and a guy who's been sitting on his couch for the last however many years who he, he doesn't really see any value in even though both of them, as stupid as they are, still somehow have more value than Bojack. This is, of course, calling back to Todd pitching his rock opera and Bojack saying it was worse than a thousand nine elevens. Oh, God, man. And um, Mr. Peanut Butter, basically, anytime he mentions any aspect of his entire life, Bojack cuts it down in conversation. But Peanut Butter is so oblivious, he hears that as a joke or he hears that as a good boy or something like that. Yeah. He's already on to the next thing before Bojack's had the chance to really, really take an actual dig at him with the dig that he's armed with. It's, I think it just plays this idea that with the exception of Diane, and I think that does, as we've said in several episodes, there always does have to be a still point and it's always Diane. The bravery in just giving every character shades of grey, it speaks to just how great television is made ultimately because at any point in which you want to identify with a character, you then identify with their flaws too and it only helps you enjoy it. I think... I've always held this show in such great personal regard because I put it up there with The Sopranos and The Wire that were the two shows that took central characters, that took lead characters, that took ancillary characters and gave them all good guy traits and bad guy traits and asked you to make the decision yourself as a viewer just how okay you were with the things they were doing. It wasn't telling you that the things they were doing were bad. It was asking you to make a decision for them if you were going to be all right with this. Are you going to, say, for example look away while Bojack indulges in drugs? Maybe not, because you might take Bojack as a villain, but then he's doing it with Todd, who you have decided is a hero. It just, in every single episode, it makes you ask the questions for yourself and make those either justifications or judgments and never really, it doesn't, it doesn't wait for an answer from you, it just does. We've said this a lot, this is animated, these are anthropomorphic, but this show is as real as it gets. I think all of this is summarised really, really perfectly. And you're absolutely spot on there. Like the amount of times they will take a trope or they'll take a pattern or they'll take something that you're familiar with and make you re recontextualize it or rethink the way that you've seen it and ask yourself a question that you might not have asked previously. Um, they do that so many times, but they summarise this magically when Diane and uh, Bojack are sitting on the roof and Bojack is he's already asked her at the uh, the ghostwriters convention if she <laughs> if she thought he was good she doesn't answer then but then he's sitting on the roof and asks her again what do you think and she sort of says she doesn't believe in good and bad doesn't she she mm -hmm. says there's like you are just what you do that the, what what you do is what you are whatever she sort of says um and that is exactly what is played out through all these characters like like you say Todd 
Todd doing the drugs is probably something I haven't actually thought about, but that's a perfect example because that's a big no-no in a lot of people's world. In other people's world, that's just a social thing. Like, <laughs> it depends who you're talking to. But, like, these are these are the grey areas that are being explored because everybody's going to have a different opinion. Some people are going to look... There's going to be people, and, like, I think even RBW himself, uh, Raphael Bob Waxberg, has spoken about this where he said, like, this people have messaged him and said, like, the things they took away from the show... It's a bit like the guy who wrote Fight Club and, and directed Fight Club, where people just took away the wrong message. Oh, yeah. Bo- Bojack's great. <laughs> Everything Bojack does <laughs> is really great. And you're like, what? Like, <laughs> no, that's not that's not what we're trying to say here. Like, you shouldn't want to be like Bojack. But ultimately, people are going to have free choice, and people are good. Some people are going to look at him and think, oh, this guy is really cool. He does drugs and he drinks all day and he doesn't like people. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, some people might want that. A lot of other people though, are going to look at that and think this is not a picture. They don't present them like that. They will push you in a certain direction, but ultimately the choice in the end, as you say, is yours. Anti-hero writing done well, I would say is probably the hardest to do in shows like this. Um, you do, ultimately, obviously people, as you say, will read it as that, like, he's the hero and the anti-hero, so his drinking and his sex and his drugs are, are just cool and that's it and that's how they read it. But I think they're the hardest thing to write with any sort of nuance and subtlety and I think it, it captures that magnificently if you if you sit and watch and you do realise that the only reason Diane is wrong in her assessment about good is because she only has to look in the mirror. She's the good one. She just doesn't realise it because she's never seen it in anybody else. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the drastic difference in, and this isn't a, a rag on this particular show because I watched this show from top to bottom and really enjoyed it. Um, Californication. Mm. Um, was very particular in the way it presented the lead character, uh, Hank Moody. Obviously, yep. David Duchovny's Hank Moody. Um, and but when I remember watching that, and I was a much younger person, I should point out at that point. But I would watch that show, and I'd be like, "This feels like a glorification of all these cool things, like drinking and drugs." I'm really enjoying watching him do all these mad things. He's cool. He's mm. shagging loads of women. All this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. That's the character they're presenting. They're presenting this. It's the same with Entourage. To present these characters and it's glorified everything is yeah. kind of put on a pedestal it's all, all fetishised isn't it yeah, everything it's, yeah. it's like turn up to this party and watch this amazing thing that'll happen where you'll be given lots of beer for free yeah. you'll be given loads of drugs if you want them you'll also be able to get women like mm-hmm. that's what Californication is as a show those exact same traits are applied in Bojack but they're not it's not glorified at all it's it's shown that that's what he does but it's not made to look like Look at how cool he is. He goes to a bar and pulls these women. It's actually, look at this man who's in a pit of despair who is looking to cling on to anything that night and ends up going home with a person for the sake of going home with it because he doesn't want to be alone. Like, yeah. those are two very different ways of presenting the exact same thing. It's better for it, isn't it, as well? I think you can, you just feel it. It's, it's one of them shows, again, I, thankfully, anyone that, I've recommended it to you that has actually stuck with it or wonderfully, as we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast, some of the people that have listened along with us and have watched along with us, it does get there. It absolutely does get there. And anyone that watches and sticks with it will kind of learn that as well. But I think, you know, to kind of move on to what we'd normally do at this point in the episode, I suppose for your bit, it's, it's helped by the jokes because they're almost ancillary to the plot. The Bojack Horseman is a very plot heavy show. There's, Always an, there's always a very, very strong A plot. There's often a, a quite a fun, distracting B plot. But every character has always got something going on. It's always related to the last episode. It's rare that things are wrapped up in 30 minutes like they would be on Indeed Horsing Around mm-hmm. or another animated show that it would yeah. be that Bojack would be errantly compared to. But 
the obviously the, one of the reasons we've looked at all these hidden jokes is because it's the sort of stuff that like theoretically wouldn't be necessary. This is a big show with big points to make, making big statements with big characters, and yet the effort it puts into the detailing just like rounds the edges to make it something that I think we would both consider perfect. I think this show would be a lot poorer if it didn't have these in, because I think the the real wealth of stuff they give you, like the the subject matter that they touch on, is is brilliant. Like it's some of the best tackling of some of the biggest themes I've seen in any television show, whether that's live action or animation, genuinely, it is an all-timer for me. No surprises, because we're doing a podcast about it. <laughs> but I think it's the way that they handle all these things is it's just, it could, it could have gone spectacularly wrong, and but it didn't. But the fact that they can use these jokes and the fact that they, some of them are so subtle that you have to be paying attention, which is a... It's a type of humour, I think, that lends to the kind of audience who are going to want to watch a show about mm. these difficult topics, isn't it? Like, yeah. you're looking for a more complex show with more complex topics, therefore, you're probably looking for a show with some more complex jokes. But also, you're also going to appreciate the times when they undercut it with some of the most childish humour possible, <laughs> because it needs that. It needs that combination of the two, and they've found the balance perfectly, and you can't understated enough the love that goes into this show because the amount of people who spend time and this is not just one or two people this is like tons of people whether it's the background designers who will get the chance to put their own little personal bits in whether it's the show producers whether it's rbw himself like they all get a little chance to like put some stuff into the show yeah and it's much better for it it's i suppose those gags are world building as much as anything else because hollywood feels alive doesn't it? It's it's yeah. not sort of they're not they're not uh, vacant buildings. They're not just blocks on a screen. It's nothing like that. Um, the like I don't want to trample on your toes because you haven't told me yet which ones you're going to identify. But of course the like instantly iconic uh, time jumps that would be referenced by the music in BoJack's radio, the shop fronts, the level of detail for those jokes is so fantastic, and yet it has to be for the benefit of the joke. They are yeah. making they're making a point that they are doing this on the nose to take the piss out yeah. of all those shows that do such a rubbish job with costuming or with set dressing. And these are shows that I can watch and enjoy, but sometimes they just lean on the laziest things. And for Bojack's car to say, This is a song from yeah. the 80s, or something like that, or a 90s shop to feature Generic a reference. 90s grunge song. <laughs> to everyone in flannel. A reference to Kurt Cobain is on the nose as that. Yeah. Because Ordinarily, if it's, if this was a real-life show, you would see a character's college bedroom and it would pull away from a Nirvana poster. Yes. So Bojack isn't having that. It's taking the piss out of that. On top of that, though, not only have they kind of found the... They take the piss in the best and most detailed way possible, but they also make everything else matter. Every tiny detail is relevant. Mm -hmm. The guys who, when Todd breaks out of prison because the helicopter smashes into the prison, we see... Prisoners from the escape who have escaped that prison turn up in different episodes of the show because they're either still on the run or they're just back in the real world and they're just doing stuff. They don't have to do that. That mm. must take ages to remember these things. They could, eventually, we're going to get down the road. These are six seasons you're going to get. <laughs> Someone's got to be taking impeccable notes because we take impeccable notes and we forget them, like certain That's bits. It. So, like, these guys have lovingly taking the time to make sure these little things matter. Everything has a chain reaction and you will see it have an impact on the world, the butterfly effect from even the smallest little thing. I think it's just, as we say this quite a lot, but like 
it's always the caveat is always foreign animation. Like animated shows don't always deal in continuity, and this deals with it to like the nth degree, to an extreme, to the point where we're noting them down in every episode, and there's enough to probably like to write. It's as if like every great show, the world is happening. And we just happen to be watching that week. And that's so much better than thinking, right, I've sat down to watch a 30-minute performance. And they, they do it as well at the point where they're like, who would be here? Why would they be here? Like, every character has motives. Every character has, like, things that matter about them that are not just forgotten. They ended up playing into the episode in the stupidest way possible. Hollywood was a world, and we could name about 50 people who are in there. And that's those are all tiny little characters in the background. And of course, when you said make a character and invest in them, you made me think of character actors Margot Martindale, <laughs> who, who Bojack invests in very heavily at various points of season one to help him with his various evil schemes. <laughs> well, talking about Bojack's evil schemes, let's just, I guess we should probably start wrapping up our whole big chat about everybody. Mm-hmm. But like, what about, you know, Bojack, from where he started to where he's ended up, we've seen him go through quite a lot of different things, you know. What what do you see? Where do you see him right now from where we first started with him to where he is right about now? Um, Just for anybody who wants a quick recap, we finished with him. He's standing at the Griffith Observatory, staring out, and he's the only person by himself in a whole balcony full of multiple couples, etc. But there's a little glimmer of hope because he might just be somebody's hero on that balcony, and it kind of reminds him that there is potentially a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I think the harsh exposure on his flaws are really important because he's the horse, but he feels more human than he does in the first few scenes of the opening episode. Um, at no point, the the almost immediate lack of glorification of the life of a, of a sitcom star or the life of somebody that has effectively gotten by on the money he made from that one show, which to a lot of people would be the dream, you know, just to be able to not have to work much for an incredible living and an incredible life is gradually made to make you realize that it's not all that incredible. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Um, I personally really quite admire the steps they took towards the end to have him still be an arsehole to Diane. I think yeah. for so late into season one, for him to sack her as the coldest of cold endings to the what I believe was the penultimate episode of the season. Um, again, just I like the idea that it always subverts. Normally, this would be the thing where Diane writes the book. It's really critical, but then the main character does a slow clap, and it's like, oh, you've made me realise. Bojack doesn't have that awakening, and I think that's such a perfect moment for this character because for all that you've learned about his flaws and you've learned about his mental health challenges and certainly you probably empathise with much of it, you are still reminded that he's also kind of a dick. And I just, I love the bravery of that. I love that you feel those complexities that he's got, as you say, he's looking out onto Hollywood because he's neither one thing or another. And like, not to get too poor-faced and cod philosophical, like, are any of us? Are any of us yeah. one thing or another? We're not, and nor is he. The one thing, the massive thing I took away, they spend a lot of time trying to explain to us, they're not trying to say that he's right in, in any means. Bojack is an arsehole. He's a, he's a complete dick. But we kind of get the reasons why. We get the little flashbacks. Numerous occasions we see his like, upbringing as a child. His parents were really not great it's, at all. It's child abuse. This it's program is dealing with yeah, child abuse. It's yeah. child abuse, domestic abuse on a level like, uh, you know, that is but would be classed as nothing back in the day because it wasn't mm -hmm. being highlighted. This was just the way it was, and you didn't cry. You had a stiff upper lip, and you you just got on with it, that kind of thing. And that has a knock-on effect with his mental health. This is a little... We're showing a little boy who was just desperate for the attention of his parents and could never get it because, ultimately, he just wasn't doing enough. And they had other things that they were interested in, like reading a paper or smoking, <laughs> a, or smoking a cigarette, Michael. Whatever you want at the time that is more pressing than looking after your small son in a sailor's outfit. However, the point I'm trying to get to here is that we see a lot of growth with Bojack in terms of uh, his relationship with Diane is the thing that kind of unlocks everything good, I would say, that happens for Bojack. Now, I'm not saying he's changed by any means because he hasn't. The, the same old flaws will continue to happen with him. Yeah, we're presented with that where he tries to do the better thing, but ultimately his poor actions and poor choices end up affecting the people around him and in, indeed his own life. But Diane manages to get one thing out of him that is the nugget at the very beginning of the show. Bojack is talking literally in episode one, I believe, to Pinky, and he talks about Secretariat and how he could never, ever, it was always his dream role, and he could never get it down, could he? That was something that just mm. didn't happen. Then this whole relationship between Diane and Bojack happens. She writes his book. He's not sure, but the book obviously is a raging success. Uh, Bojack ends the show, as we see. I mean, just remember how long he holds on to that Golden Globe for throughout that episode where he wins mm. it. Like, that is his only, like... He's, he doesn't let go of it. It's very deliberate. They keep him in that Golden Globe in every single scene from the second he gets it to the yeah. minute we leave him. He's just clutching onto it for something, anything to kind of find his place. But it doesn't really fill him with anything, does it? No. But, but his relationship with Diane does ultimately, in a roundabout way, end up delivering him the success that he needs to the point where he can then get the Secretariat uh, film put into motion that he's been trying to do forever. So yes, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations of Bojack. He is still very much an arsehole in my eyes. And he's you, you can tell he wants to be better. And with mm -hmm. Diane, and because he because he perhaps thought he could have a, a sort of proper relationship with Diane, uh, a bit further than friends, like you can see that almost unlocks the really potential good person inside him. But then once that's shut down, we find him obviously returns to his self-defense mechanisms of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
and ultimately he's a complete and a douchebag. But despite the fact that he's an absolute calamity <laughs> of, a, of a horse, all and a man, all the way through to the point where he's literally asking Diane to tell him that he's good. I do end up feeling like we leave Bojack in a position where I don't want to say he hasn't learned anything because he's trying to maybe be mindful of it. He knows what he's doing, but he just he's a he's a horse of habit, isn't he? He's just that's what he does. <laughs> Uh, and he, it's, but seeing him on that observatory, standing out, staring out, the end message is hope, isn't it? Like, yeah, absolutely, hope for us, the viewer, that you might end up getting a nice episode of Bojack Horseman, <laughs> but also hope that maybe there's still a chance. And there's a good horse in there somewhere, Michael. We just got to get him out the stable. <laughs> Very nice. We're, we're always talking about that staff frame. I'm always defending it to those teachers, Bojack. <laughs> I think without those conflicts that you've explored there like the writers would be betraying the character they've created. You can't think of Bojack, or as I say, of any of them apart from Diane, that any of them are perfect because that's not the message that they've wanted to get out at any point. And I just, I think that's it. And I think that leaves you with so much to discuss and so much to highlight and so much to podcast about, thankfully for us. And it's the magic of the show. And it serves an audience that I've come around in this era of prestige television that go looking for shows like this. We... We get lost in the plot, and then obviously you think, well, why has this happened for actual viewers of the show? What are they hoping to give the viewing audience? And what they're giving them is this. They're giving them discourse. They're giving them questions. They're giving them kind of complex discussion points and real-life issues played through the lives of animals for the most part. And I just, I think if it wasn't like that and if it wasn't this chat, this wouldn't be this wouldn't be the show it is. People writing this show are smarter than me. They're smarter than you, and they know how to play on your your brain and they've delivered something that's just it not once did I really feel like I was ready or was on the money for something that was going to happen in season one like at any point whether it was whether it was funny whether it was emotional and I just think that's the if that's not the best kind of telly that you could ask for like it keeps you guessing even on the tiny little things that seem Mm. irrelevant then stop this podcast now Michael if that's the case (laughs) stop it now and 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 end it all. But yes, is that probably about enough for us doing the the stretch of of what's gone on in Hollywood and all the trials and tribulations? So yeah, far? I think so. I think so. That's that's covered. All. That's that's our sort of our traditional classic Bojack. Classic Bojack. Hmm. I think so. Now, again, as we said when we started this, we did want this to be a bit more casual, but we have always got time for a few good jokes, Michael. Now there have Please. been tw- there's been twelve episodes, and of course, with twelve episodes comes a lot of gags and i mean a lot of gags some episodes there's about 101 episodes so i've gone through each episode individually and just try to pick out the one that was either the most meaningful the most funny in some instances or the one that i just thought was so cleverly done that you couldn't miss it out so for your season one roundup ladies and gentlemen here are your horse and around picks for episodes one through 12 i haven't included the uh, Christmas special because I felt like this was more focused on one twelve of that whole goddamn episode was a because, joke because that whole episode is too great and if you haven't already listened to that please do go and check out the Christmas special I know what you might be thinking oh it's a Christmas special it's April who wants to do that well or whatever time it is you listen to this podcast genuinely you'd be missing out if you don't listen to that podcast because mm-hmm. it's a wonderful episode find it on Netflix anyway horsing around for season one Michael Hamlet yes. So we go back to the very beginning. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, the very first episode, now I'm going to say this probably about each episode, but there's a whole bunch in this episode 
Yeah. But the one I've decided to go for, which sets this up so perfectly, I've picked one, but I have to give a little nod to another one. Okay. Uh, when Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter are talking at the very beginning-ish of the episode, where we actually mentioned where he and Princess Caroline are talking at a table, and Mr. Peanut Butter turns up, this this douchebag jock guy, uh, him and Bojack have a bit of a discourse, and Mr. Peanut Butter, what does he say, Michael? He says, always a Clydesdale, never a Clyde to Bojack. And at the time... We maybe didn't understand what it meant, but as we did a bit of, bit of did a bit of digging and figured it out, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. And that comes to pay off at the end of the episode when Mr. Peanut Butter turns out to be the boyfriend of Bojack's new ghostwriter, who we thought was maybe gonna be his new Diane from Cheers. How wrong he was. Fantastic. Uh, and also just a quick wink and a nod to Diane, of course, whose email address is Nguyen is the loneliest number at AOL.com. <laughs> Can't not mention that. It's too good. Anyway, on to episode two. And, Michael, it's episode two. So this was done before I even got around to looking at the notes because I have to say to you, Michael, that in season two, we learn a very valuable lesson, and that is that while horsing around is full of jokes, there is nothing funny about stealing a meal from Neil McBeal, the nearly steal <laughs> at all in this world. And if you have forgotten that lesson, then you need to really think about life. So there you go. Oh, That's no, my... quite like a seal pop, isn't it? <laughs> oh, like a kiss from a rose, Michael. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Um, yes, I don't even need to go further on that. Everybody who watched that episode loved Neil McBeal and those jokes. Episode three. Now, episode three, this one was fairly easy. You can't, you can't shy away from one of the greatest gags of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so subtly done is that Andrew Garfield appears in this episode as Sarah Lynn's boyfriend of course uh, they end up having a bit of a rough time throughout that episode but Sarah Lynn does reveal to Todd that Andrew Garfield there's a couple of things she doesn't like about him particularly and she says one of them is that he, all he ever wanted to eat was lasagna <laughs> and the other thing is that he always gets angry whenever his agent books meetings for Mondays which means oh. Michael that Andrew Garfield Always loves lasagna and always hates Mondays. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> and the cheek of them as well, to pay this off, when Garfield takes Bojack's role in secretary very briefly, and you just have the pull away of Bojack going, Garfield! <laughs> like Dave Garfield's owner in the show. They, for them to not like to not just have that as a throwaway joke, the, the gall of them, brilliant. And... Just to follow up with that as well, when he falls down the hall and breaks every bone in his body and is in hospital, Sarah Lynn, of course, turns up to bring him a whole thing of lasagna <laughs> because that's his favourite food. Anyway, on to episode four for Horsing Around, and this gag is wonderful that requires a, a few more notes. But, Michael, how can I choose anything other than the fool me gag from episode four? <laughs> Because it's so bloody well done. Now, for anyone who's forgotten what this is, this is the episode with Todd's rock opera. And the fool me gag is that nobody in Hollywood knows the phrase fool me once and all the follow on. So we get three amazing instances here of this. I will read them out for you now. The first one is fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, fiddle dee dee. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. The following up from that is, I think this one is... Uh, Virgil van Cleef who does it. I think it's Mr. Peanut Butter who does the first one, maybe. And then this one is Virgil van Cleef who says, fool me once, shame on you, but teach a man to fool me. And, that, <laughs> and I'll be fooled for the rest of my life. <laughs> and 
finally, the third instance of this, and probably the stupidest, which is Todd's. Of course it's Todd's. Ah, yes. Fool me once. Fool me twice. Fool me chicken soup with rice. <laughs> <laughs> which just makes no sense whatsoever. And probably is a good time to move on to the next one. So, episode five. Uh, this was an interesting one, this one. So, episode five is the episode uh, Live Fast, Diane New Inn, where Diane's father dies, and we go to Boston, and we have all that kind of scenario happening. You will remember that her dad gets turned into a barrel of chum, and they're all sat at a bar, and uh, they're discussing what's going to happen right before Diane goes off the handle and steals a barrel of chum, and we have all this. Now, you remember in that episode, Michael, that Derek Jeter allows an old woman to get hit by a barrel of chum <laughs> that's running wild, and Jeter turns out he is actually a real piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> he ends up stealing that purse as well, which is a nod to all the hatred that they give to Jeter throughout the episode. However, in that episode, we always I enjoyed the fact that as they're having the conversation in the bar, the little old woman who gets smashed to death by or smashed to bits rather by the barrel of chum can actually be seen in the background as a character who's just walking along oh, the street. Brilliant which ends up paying off wonderfully about five minutes later, which I thought was a lovely detail. So that's the one I've gone with for that episode. Okay. Episode six, this is another interesting uh, background little tidbit that we got. Uh, you'll remember outside um, the Laugh Shack. Actually, it might be outside Elefante, actually. One of the two. But on the right-hand side, there's a place that's called Chimprov, Michael. <laughs> when they do improv acting classes but on the marquee for the night is Paul F. Tomcat is on at 9pm which is a lovely little nod to Paul F. Tompkins who is of course the voice of Mr. Peanut Butter a beautiful little background gag for you there and then episode 7 now this one is just purely for you this and me um, because episode 7 there were many to choose from there was a bunch of witticisms but there is nothing funnier in episode 7 then when the birds try to blackmail Vanessa Gecko, <laughs> Bojack has a brand new client. Vanessa Gecko shuts them down immediately after their pathetic demands for like 300 quid each or something. <laughs> Maybe even less than that, I think. Uh, she basically explains to them that if, she, if they try doing that, she'll have them arrested and maybe put the, the murder of Tupac Shakur on them as well <laughs> while she's at it. One of the birds tries to escape, just tries to fly away. But obviously he's a bird, Michael, so he's very thick and just flies straight, <laughs> straight into the window of the office. And it is the most deadpan hit and one of the biggest laughs I think I got from the whole season yeah. as his <laughs> fellow bird friend drags him out of the room unconscious. <laughs> what a great, what a great. Episode eight um, is another one which was just for you and I, I think, because it's more, it's more humour in the sense of people's misfortunes. And one of the biggest pops you will get in episode eight, which is, of course, the telescope where Bojack goes to visit him. Ooh. Tough episode. And as they drive away after some real intense scenes, <laughs> <laughs> you will notice that the background is one of the most motionless looking Todd Chavez's you are ever going to see. He has been left for dead. Left he's, for dead. he's been left for dead. And his arms and legs are flat out in a pencil-like nature that could only happen on this show with animation it's brilliant it's and it's such a throwaway gag as well because if you're not paying attention you will absolutely miss it um so that was my favorite from episode eight episode nine now this is where they got a bit more complex things got a bit more interesting and this is of course the episode where mr peanut butter and diane get married michael we have the party at elephante there's lots of wonderful things happen here 
And one thing that Mr. Peanut Butter is not good at, and there's plenty of them, but one of the things he's really not good at is finding signs, Michael, and where to buy them from. Because in this episode, we get the wonderful signs for, for these moments where the first one reads, congratulations, Diana, Mr. Peanut Butter. Peanut Butter is all one word. <laughs> which is what their engagement do. And then at the actual wedding, is congratulations, Diana, Mr. Peanut Butter. Peanut Butter is all one word. Don't write one word. <laughs> Brilliant. The show that lovely, lovely that knows its own things. On to the last three now. Here we are on episode 10. Uh, Lenny Turtletop is my choice for episode 10. And the wonderful gag of Lenny Turtletop, who needs some he needs something to eat, Michael, in this episode. Mm. It's one trick pony where he's on the set and they're trying to make a film and it's all a bit ridiculous. And men in Hollywood are stupid. Well, Lenny Turtletop is a turtle and he goes to get a snack, so it takes him ages. He has to walk up a hill. And every time he leaves to go and get a snack or try and find them snacks eventually, the, the film that he's working on turns into something different. Time and time again, very similar to, as we mentioned, Vincent Vega in uh, Pulp Fiction when he yes. goes to the bathroom and everything changes, which is surely a tie-in to Quentin Tarantulino being the director mm. of this film. But ultimately, Michael, by the time Lenny Turtletop gets back from trying to find a snack, what is it that the episode, but the whole film has turned into, Michael? Well, I believe it's turned into a bi-monthly curated box of snacks. <laughs> <laughs> of course it has, because much like a turtle, or should we call him a tortoise in this case? The tortoise yeah. will win the race. It's mm -hmm. the tortoise who beats the hare. And my word, this was worth waiting for. Episode 11. Uh, the one interesting tidbit I went for for this one, this was, of course, the, uh, the downer ending episode where lots was going on here. We had the mad book scene, everything going a bit crazy. And during that real intense uh, taking of lots of drugs between Bojack, uh, Sarah Lynn and Todd, there's a moment where we get a weird trip with Bojack's tavern and he's talking to Todd and Sarah Lynn, but they've swapped clothes and they're doing weird stuff. And there's a point where Todd speaks in reversed words, Michael. Mm. And what you will learn that if you flip the reverse and play them the other way, he in fact says, I'm talking backwards, Aaron Paul is dead, which is, of course, a nod to Paul is dead, the Beatles' uh, wide, mad phenomenon that happened back yeah. in the day. Um, but also just a cute thing there. And there, the rumours that if you play their records backwards, yeah. you'd get the revelations of it. And yeah, Of course, and also adds to the real terror of this moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jack goes on the biggest trip of them all. And finally, mm. number 12, this one... I think you're going to enjoy quite a lot, actually, because it's one I'd never seen up until the, we rewatched it for this season. This is uh, is take place at the Golden Globe Awards, Michael, as Bojack is getting his award for not doing a film at the Golden Globes <laughs> is quite incredible. But you will notice there's lots of people, lots of celebrities who are there for this. But most noticeably, Michael, are Beyonce and Jay-Z, who are sat at the front, who are cheering on Bojack Horseman. And as you remember... Earlier in the season, Beyonce <laughs> is victim to Bojack throwing one dollar bills. All of this, all of the, what is it? All of the single dollars? All the single dollars. Single dollars. All the single dollars. Single dollars. Bills, bills, bills. <laughs> well, at that point, she falls over and sprains her ankle. And <laughs> we see a massive payoff for that later on at the Golden Globes in episode 12 because Beyonce all glammed up for the show, is wearing a cast on her ankle. She sprained it. It's still not quite right, which I just thought was unnecessarily brilliant. Why? They didn't even need to do that. They did it, and it's magical. But on top of that, just a little tidbit, Jay-Z is a zebra. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> <Very> <laughs> because nice. 
Whereas Michael, women are more important than men, and they <laughs> should be presented as such. Those are your 12 little tidbits. Obviously, I should point out there are so many from this show, from this episode, from this season, rather. Everything about it is covered in them. Go back into the individual episode by episodes. If you want more of those, there's a ton for each episode. But those are the 12 that have made the cut, and fair enough to them. Mm. Now, we've done a lot of talking here, haven't we? We've done we a lot of talking about us, about the show, about the things we've enjoyed. Is it time that we perhaps offer the floor to our lovely guests, shall we call them? Yeah, guests? that'd guests. be nice. We're the hosts and they're the guests. Michael, would you like to kind of fill everyone in on what we're going to do? Yeah, so we threw out a question on our at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed um, asking if anybody had any questions, any comments on season one. Again, spoiler free, that's for the benefit of the listeners and the people that might be watching along episode by episode, as indeed we are. Um, and we got a few in, so we're going to read some of them out. Um, we'll just pause them back and forth, have a bit more chat just to round off all of our final season one thoughts. Um, I'll start, I suppose. Our first question comes from Edward Shiraz Hans. He himself, I know from memory, is on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. So thank you for sticking with us, Edward. Um, he says, G'day, gents. As always, hope you fellas are doing well in isolation. We are, and thank you very much, Edward, for asking. I should say we. Uh, we are very separately doing well in isolation. <laughs> we are on our best behaviour. Um, so I'll ask you this one, Nicholas, from Edward. Uh, what was the season-defining moment in your eyes? The moment that summed up season one perfectly for you. The rounds of pressing great work, as always. Thank you, Edward, very much. So, yeah, what was the moment that defined season one most of all? The season-defining moment? That's a good question. That is a good question. And also, I should say, just before we dive into these, thank you to everybody who sent questions, because, mm. like, genuinely, we, this was the whole point that we started this podcast for in the first yeah. place. So this is lovely. Season-defining moment. I really love, like, I really, really love, well, I've already mentioned it, uh, Diane's quote on the rooftop where she's talking to Bojack and mentions about, she gives us the insight into the whole show on that rooftop and basically says that she doesn't believe that there's good and bad people or whatever. She believes that you are the things that you do and ultimately that you're responsible for your own happiness. I think she kind of says, to which Bojack says, this is, well, that's depressing. <laughs> But it's true. It's the thing that I feel it is the through line through all of this. And we learn, as you mentioned yourself, there's a lot of areas of grey. And I just feel like that moment, probably coupled alongside Bojack asking Diane to tell him that she's good, that he's good, that real mm. moment where he lets it all, he, he gives up, hasn't he? He's not given up, but he's accepted that he's the kind of guy that he is and he wants her help rather than shutting her out. I just felt like that was such a powerful moment. I feel like their relationship is the thing for me that is so captivating about all of this. So that yeah. probably be my pick there. Right then, well, I'll ask you a question now, Michael Hamlet, mm -hmm. seeing as how you're chucking them around. I'm going to go for a question from Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast. Nice. Thank you for your questions, uh, UMFFP, <laughs> <laughs> for short. Uh, they would like to know, which character did you find throughout the series run become annoying slash irritable slash et cetera? annoying slash irritable that's really tricky because it's hard not to love something about all the main characters and one that popped into my head there was lenny turtletop because there's a certain romantic old hollywood charm to him when you first meet him in his interactions with princess carolyn but then the longer you go on the more you realize he's just another thick bloke but he's older he's mm. gamed the system like everybody else and in truth He's gamed uglier versions of the system mm. because even as we witnessed 2014 Hollywood, Hollywood, we know that it's a constantly improving thing. It's a movable feast. Hollywood, Hollywood, as 
always been pretty awful and only gets gradually better in very minor stages. So it puts you in mind, and he always references, he says, like I said to a young so-and-so, yeah. so you know he's been in that system for like literally a hundred years. You kind of think, well, how many times have you just been given a free pass? And whilst he's endearing for being old-fashioned and being a good comedy, like a good comedic foil for the other characters, it's just the the things you don't know about Turtletop's past that remind you that he's probably not been the nicest of guys. Mm, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, and it's and it's a credit, I suppose, to the show. I should point out that it's hard to find somebody that you feel irritated or irked by. There's very little people that show up on screen that you don't want to see a little bit more of. Um, I'll go to Damien Sayers. Uh, he's asked, "What was your favourite part of season one, where the characters being mostly animals made a difference?" Mine was the Vanessa Gecko swerve. Interesting. Okay, where the where the being animals made a difference. Hmm. Where it added added something, I took it away. I, I tell you what, I do like. I like. I mean, he's mentioned there, and thank you for your question, Damien. By the way, mm. uh, he's mentioned the Vanessa Gecko swerve. I really like when they do that with the characters, and they, they play on the fact that you're expecting one thing, and they give you something different, don't they? They twist it yes. around, and there's a few good examples of that. The one I would choose if we're going down that route, I would say I really enjoyed <laughs> the stupidity. Of like so many times I've met a character who has the all the attributes and characteristics of like Lenny Tailtop is a turtle who's slow and he's snappy when he wants to be and all those sorts of traits that you get with a turtle. Cameron Crow, however, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> who turns up for a for the uh, a meeting with Princess Carolyn, who continues to make crow related jokes, um, is I think he's actually a raven. Ultimately, <laughs> which and he's, kind, he's kind of pissed off with the confusion. Yeah, he's a raven and he's absolutely sick. Imagine how many crow jerks, he's, crow jokes that he's heard throughout his whole career. And she's like saying, are you going to make a call? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, again, that wouldn't work because I'm a, a raven, not a crow. Uh, but thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, that would probably be my pick for that one. Um, let's move to a question from Chris Mora. Thank you for your question, Chris. Who says, and I hope this makes sense, but I think it does. I've got I've got faith in you, Chris. I believe in you. Uh, if this makes sense, what scene would you say was the heart of the season? What scene that, if taken out, would most change the dynamic of the show by removing the quote-unquote heart of it? I'll make mm. a mental note to ask this at the end of each season, he says. Thank you, Chris. The heart of season one. I would have to say, and this may be cheating a little bit, but ultimately... It's Bojack's entire trip in Downer Ending in episode 11. It's the, it is the heart because it's the darkest heart. It's the, it's the heart of Bojack's darkness. It's the heart of his mental health issues. It's the heart where you start to learn, if you haven't seen already through flashbacks and other character moments, why Bojack is the way he is. The last thing he wants to be exposed to is his own interior dialogue, is his own psyche. And that is being laid bare in... There are times when the visuals are gross. There are times when the flashbacks are warped, but it doesn't ask you to think about what's real and what's fake about those flashbacks. I, I referenced it at the time. Um, the darkest line in the whole of the series for me is young Sarah Lynn asking for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, man. Like, at Bojack's lap, knowing what we've learned about their relationship and how it became sexual in her adult life and how he was, at times, such a negative and destructive influence on the younger version of her. I just, I just think no matter what elements of Bojack's past they've explored previous to that episode, it is then 
thrust upon you to take it whether you want it or not and there are times you absolutely don't want it so imagine if you're him and being forced to live with it every day every he, does he not even mention a line like that does he where he says i live with me i've, I've done that and I, it's not fun being me <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, in the questions we'll get a really nice message from earth Two, michael sims he said he didn't have a question but he said he wanted to tell us that he'd finally given bojack horseman a try because of the podcast and uh, thanks us for introducing us to it um, and for keeping it spoiler free and to, to you Michael and everybody else who's just going to say we will keep these questions spoiler free and these answers spoiler free for anybody alluding to things in season two yeah. as Chris did there we look forward to having this discussion again in another 12 episodes time um, so I'll move to a question from Daft Vader um, he's asked he said Hollywood is portrayed as a tar pit that either drags you down or covers you in muck but who is immune there are cases made for Todd Diane and maybe Princess Carolyn too who swims rather than sinks in it? And then he does put in brackets for now. That's so, an so who swims in the tar rather than drowning in it? That is a very interesting question. Uh, I think, see, I don't, I don't think Diane would, Diane feels immune to it, but not in the way that she would swim in it. Diane <laughs> is very good at avoiding it. She does her best to be better than Hollywood. She's, she is only as involved in it as much as she needs to be, but ultimately she would find herself, much like she does at parties, enjoying being on the rooftop, smoking a cigarette as far away from it as yeah. humanly possible. So I don't think she fits the thing. I would say in that in that regard, um, Princess Carolyn for me is right up there. She knows the Hollywood game. She understands the nature of it. And despite the fact that m multiple times she gets picked up and literally thrown into the tar, by people like <laughs> genuinely like bosses asking her ridiculous things about that shouldn't be like even possible and while she's juggling a bunch of different things in her life she ultimately puts on the swimsuit michael puts the cap on and, <laughs> in, and in she goes and i would say she's the one character todd and mr peanut butter get by in hollywood because they just kind of float around uh, and maybe they float on the waters but someone who could confidently dive into the tar pits and come back up no problem for me mm. is princess carolyn and that's with sheer strength, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. Not, to, not just because she's got nine lives to use. Not just because she's got the nine lives, obviously. <laughs> um, right then, I will then chuck you this question, Michael. This comes from, and I apologise if I get this pronunciation wrong, but that's because we're from the northeast of England. <laughs> uh, but Sanmit Chital says, I think by the end of season one, and thank you for your question, by the way, Sanmit, uh, says, think, I think by the end of season one, you truly realise what this show is really capable of. It's just mind-blowing to see an animated show go this deep but still be as funny. So not really a question, but more of a solid observation. And I think one mm. we can probably both relate to there, Michael. Absolutely. It's why I think when we both watched this, we felt that we just wanted to talk more about it. And we always say, talk ourselves horse about a talking horse. But that's very much not a catchphrase because we could not get enough of speaking about this. And it became a genuine source of frustration, a fire in our bellies that you couldn't have that conversation with your colleagues or your friends or your family or other people um, because it's worthy of it. It belongs in the upper echelon. They've made a show here, um, you know, as that comment as that comment says, and as we've tried to illustrate over the first 12 episodes, they've made a show here worthy of this discussion and plenty more. Um, on a sort of similar note, actually, we've got a, a question here from Nathaniel Arnold. Uh, thank you for your question, Nathaniel. It says, the season ends on a fairly happy note with Bojack getting recognition from the fan at the observatory. And obviously we'll keep this spoiler free, but he sort of says, could this be the start of a brand new attitude for our favourite sad horse? And rather than obviously tiptoeing into season two, I suppose the way to look at that is, do you think that's what that is intending to put across? 
that he's finally from that point at which he once saw all of Hollywood. Is he now starting to see things differently? I think Bojack's always had a fairly good gauge on, like he can see it. It's just his ability to actually do anything about it or change in any capacity seems mm-hmm. to be the difficult part. What I would say is, though, I totally agree. I think I mentioned it myself already in this podcast that the end note that I always got from season one was this hope, this... I think, genuinely, if if they told you that there wasn't any more seasons of BoJack Horseman after season one, that's a nice story there. Even mm. from episode one to 12, there's a, like, a contained story that, yes, you might want to see more of, but ultimately you could have ended it there on a guy who might have learned his lesson by the end or suggested that there might be hope for him. Because I feel like that moment where the fan acknowledges him and says he's his hero kind of really does resonate with him a bit. And it reminds him of him looking on that television screen at Secretariat, who, to be fair, we haven't really mentioned that a great deal of, but it's a huge part of Bojack's life in this TV, in this TV show. Yeah. And it feels like there's this passing of the torch moment there, and he's seen it through his eyes, and you kind of hope that maybe he's going to know what it was like being him, and that could help him make some different choices, because we know Secretariat's life didn't end well, and hope that Bojack's can end in a much different, slightly happier vein, perhaps. And it's just, as you say, that it plays this idea that, like, it's almost the, the, the notion of hope itself is something drowning in the tar. Yeah. You can see it, you can sense it, but it threatens to be dragged under at any point. So the very little glimpses you get of it are the ones that you really, like, pull onto for support. I mean, that, that's exactly it, and there's hope there. But ultimately, there's still a pile of sadness because Bojack is, where does he end? He ends with one person in the middle of a row of about five or six couples of people who are there sharing mm. these intimate moments with each other, sharing life with other people, something Bojack struggles with tremendously, and he ends the series alone, which is yeah. alone, surrounded by people. So there's hope, but there's also still very much a big picture there, a bigger picture as they zoom out, funnily enough, yeah. where it's like, he's oh, he, there's, there's hope, but it's not going to be easy. I think no. that's the takeaway for it. Uh, let me have a little look and find you a question from Holly. Thank you for your question, Holly, uh, who says, what is your favourite hidden... Ooh, this is fun. You get to do it now. Take okay. that, Michael. What's your favourite hidden Easter egg in season one? Like a newspaper headline, etc. Almost important, also an important question she tacks on the end there. What species would you want to be if you lived in the Bojack universe? Oh. So a nice little double header for you there. Yeah. I mean, you've hit upon the... So the first part of the question, obviously, when we kind of went through those, there's so many absolute winners. Mm-hmm. But if uh, if I can, again, like work around the wording slightly, and because we've not brought him up yet, every single gag around Vincent Adultman, <laughs> it's, it's a gift to comedy. You alluded to the fact that earlier on, men are thick and get away with doing whatever they want. In this case three little boys, I think, and get away with doing what they want, just pretending to be an adult man, because it's three boys on each other's shoulders, Nicholas. And yeah, he were any reference to the business factory, the references to where he just wants to stay up and watch R-rated movies. <laughs> uh, when Princess Carolyn thinks she's going through an emotional breakup, but he just wants to make sure that she's going to buy him a soda. Uh, it's staggering. And what's so great about Vincent Adultman is that Bojack Horseman no-sells the entire thing. Without Bojack, again, that's a point in which I think the writing is trying to make you relate to him mm. because you're there going, huh? And it's because he's lived that life as a sitcom character himself. He has literally lived through scenes as unrealistic as the one that is playing out in his real life there. And then, um, so yeah, I would have to say 
any Vincent the Dortmund reference, either big or small. It's just, it's, I mean, that in itself is worthy of winning that best comedy or musical Golden yeah. Globe that I'll, Bojack I'll, eventually wins. I'll be honest, it was really hard to not just have his name as one of the big hitters for me, uh, <laughs> for me 12 bits of horsing around there. Um, but yes, the other part of that question was what species would you want to be if you were an animal in Bojack Horseman? I think I'd go with, um, I don't know, I quite like, we've seen, I think, once or twice in Bojack animals. I like seeing animals that do jobs that they're like that their best function to do. Yeah. And as and as gross as this sounds, when you see when you see the cow serving the milk, like it's not so much that I want to be lactating for customers, but I like the ability to have sass. And that cow has so much goddamn sass. I wouldn't say she's happy in a job, but there's something she looks fulfilled in it. And I would want to be that fulfilled in my job in that universe. Much like her glasses of milk, you could say. <laughs> That's it. Fulfilled. <laughs> she Again, we talk about characters that exist away from the tar pit. Even though she's only working in a diner, that cow is real. So I would take that. Are, I would you, are you saying that you want to be a cow, Michael? Is that what you're saying? Well, I feel in the wake of a very long socially distanced Easter, like a big fat cow, not least because of all the dairy products that I've ingested. <laughs> so maybe it's just that I feel very related to that cow at the moment. I would say, given your pension for uh, Easter eggs recently. I'd say you've made a good rabbit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> kettle of fish as well. I'll, I'll just be the fish in the kettle. I'll just, yeah. take, I'll just take the fish, because then I just get to forget. <laughs> Brilliant. On a, we've got a, a similar question, actually, from um, Coleman. You might have already reeled the answer off earlier in your fabulous rundown. But he asks, Coleman, thank you very much for your question. He asks, what are your favourite one-liners slash jokes in the first season? <laughs> Mine are Bojack taking a lot to get drunk in episode one and the mosquito entering the tent in episode 12. <laughs> he says, love the pod, guys. Keep it up. Thanks very much, Coleman. Thanks for listening. So, yeah, any others that you might not have touched on? Any sort of other one-liners or jokes that you just really like from the season? Oh, God, there's so many. That's the problem. There are literally so many one-liners in this. Um, i tell you what I did like. Bojack and Princess Carolyn are talking in Princess Carolyn's office. And this happens in, I think it's episode 10, uh, One Trick Pony. Mm -hmm. And Bojack has been a bit of a prima donna. Uh, he's, he's, the film's going a bit weird. He's not happy about it all. And uh, Princess Carolyn says to him, she gives him some strong advice, Michael, where she says, you know what might help? If you think about this like a professional instead of a big titty baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, the visceral pop that got from me when I first heard it, and it still gets to this day, it's a great one-liner, or a couple of liners, but it's definitely a good one. Uh, and, and, and a show that is full of one-liners. You know, it's funny, there's a few questions that we've had in earlier about jokes and laughs and things, and I do genuinely believe it's because we find ourselves at the end of a season where the plot is very heavy and the, the reality of it is very thick. And to that, and just as a sort of a general answer to everything, as we've alluded to, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast where I reviewed the Christmas episode, or if indeed you skip that and you're only listening now and realise that it can be found in Netflix's archive if you search for Bojack Horseman rather than looking in the Bojack Horseman file, that episode is perfectly timed and perfectly placed as a, as just joke after joke after joke after joke. Everything you've learned in season one is given to you as a Christmas gift in that Christmas episode. And for any time that they, instead of having a punchline, decide not to pull the punches with some really hard plot, they give you it back in the form of laugh upon laugh upon laugh. That Christmas special is 
this show proving that it is still written by a team of incredibly elegant comedy writers who know their way around a funny and it's just they don't choose to fall back on it in the main show. And I just think that's a credit to the show in general because last week I, I like listened back for, for dare I say it, quality checking and there was none to be found because it was just a pair of idiots, me and you, laughing our way through a really funny episode of a comedy. Um, we have one last one um, we heard from Daff Vader earlier on. He sent another question as well. Thanks again, Daff Vader. He said, um, in relation to Mr. Peanut Butter, and we've sort of touched upon this, but he kind of goes a bit further than that. I think it's quite an interesting observation. He says, is Mr. Peanut Butter a befuddled good guy, or is he as much of a shark as the rest of them, but with the sheen of dopey goodwill? It can be difficult to tell at times in season one. It reminds me of the early career of a certain blonde politician who hid behind his facade of jokes and dull wits. I think we know who he's referencing there, but yeah, sort of broader overview of peanut butter. It's funny because when I first read uh, when I first read that question, I think when they were all coming in originally, these questions, mm. there was a moment where I was like, "Is he talking about Boris or is he talking about Trump?" <laughs> <laughs> because there's one, and then there's that, and then there's that gif of why not have both? But it's the darkest timeline where the woman is crying instead. Oh, oh don't we haven't got time for that? <laughs> we haven't got time for that on this podcast. And is Mr. Peanut Butter a befuddled good guy? I I think when this first started the show, Mr. Peanut Butter was gonna be was gonna be a vindictive kind of entitled jock prick, for want of a better set of phrases. Uh, I think they quickly realised there was more to him than that, and that didn't necessarily play off the characteristics of a dog that he has that plays so perfectly into who he is in every way, shape, and form. So I think ultimately what we have now is a guy who just he just fumbles his way through. The closest we get to anything that, of that nature after that is whenever him and Bojack might be feuding over something. Yeah. And even and even then, he's quite submissive, apart from that one time when he turns up. And even actually, when he turns up at Bojack's house and he's like, he's been, Bojack's told him how he's trying to steal his own girlfriend. Like, he's a dick to a point. And then he's just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah. they, they buries a hatchet immediately. So, and yes, he might steal Bojack's Hollywood D story, but ultimately, that's kind of right in the end. It all fits the bill. I genuinely think he's a good guy. I think he's a good guy who just is going through life by the seat of his pants or the collar, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I think we get some lovely stuff as a result. He wins a lot by accident to the point yeah. where you're quite satisfied for his victory by the end of an episode. And you're, you're kind of more looking at Bojack thinking, well, you had that one coming, mate. And I think that's it. It's like you've kind of got your arms around the shoulders of both characters ultimately in their own victory and defeat, haven't you? Absolutely. And I think... I just think imagine the show without him would be a lot poorer because he mm. gives you the option of uh, the the visual rather of what Bojack's life could be if he just maybe opened himself up to the ways of Hollywood a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I think that's probably enough for the questions. But Michael, it wouldn't be a season one recap if, much like every time we do this on a week by week, episode by episode basis, we didn't have one last thing. And then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this season. Ah. Oh, you see? You see what I did there? I like, I like what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. Like did you get it? Did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> right. I tell you, Should I write him back and tell him I got it? Um, right. I tell you what. I will, because I'm a gentleman, mm-hmm. I will let you go first because I feel like yours is going to be more interesting than mine usually because you're, <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> that's usually how it works. I mean, there's a reason why you do the plot and I do the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's when you say plot, I suppose we, Bojack's whole story in season one is that he wants to make 
in Hollywood beyond horsing around. And primarily that is to make Secretariat. And we learn in the very last episode when he's actually found a success and he's clinging on to that golden globe, he says, no, I want to make Secretariat. What's this all been for if I'm not making Secretariat? And helpfully, at the very end of season one, we actually see Secretary on the talk show addressing young Bojack. Bojack has wrote him a letter. We see that hero worship is in from the very beginning. And I just really appreciate that the use of animals in the show is still like tethered to reality. Secretariat in real life is, of course, probably the most famous racehorse in the world, certainly one of the most successful. What are racehorses, Steve? Racehorses run. And Secretariat in Bojack uses that as some very poor mental health advice for young Bojack horsemen. If you have problems, if you have people that want to hold you back, you just keep running. For a racehorse to tell a young horse to keep running and that play into the ultimate complete and total erosion of a character's mental health is absolutely staggering. It's, it's truly, truly remarkable. We joke about Princess Carolyn always landing on her feet or Mr. Peanut Butter just always being very happy in his surroundings, being well-liked because he's a dog, all those sort of things. This is on another level. This is somehow taking something that an animal would do, and indeed in real life did do, and turning it into something that is going to hamstring the human emotions of a character. This is not Peanut Butter being really sad because he can't go out with a, for a walk and then being miserable and curling up in bed and being angry with his owner. This is a man whose entire life has been changed by the very horse-like advice of his horse hero. And it almost makes you think, well, then Bojack has to be a horse. The writers, the people that have made the show, have to make him a horse because he is a character constantly on the run from his own personal demons. I just think that's that sums up the brilliance of the writing. There's so much to it, isn't there? The layers upon layers. We talk about the layers in this show so many times, but that is a real prime example of that. And... I mean, you just can't get enough. You can't get enough of it. And you just you hope and you pray that somewhere on the line, Bojack's going to be able to see that his yeah. hero was such a flawed person. And <laughs> fingers crossed he gets there in the end. But, Michael, that probably ties in nicely to what my little one last thing is going to be in terms of what Bojack sees. Mm. <laughs> um, because a lot of the times in this show, Bojack is, uh, for want of a better phrase, an absolute idiot. Um, <laughs> and... It's presented to us in many ways, but because this show is the best and very clever, uh, there's a number of occasions where the whole narrative gets flipped. And in this wacky, weird world of Hollywood, Bojack, in a bizarre twist of fate, is the only person who sees the truth, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is worrying, to say the least, that he is the one. But I've got a few examples, and the, some of them are wonderful. But the, the, the key instances here, Bojack is this guy who is constantly ignoring his own personal flaws, but he sees sometimes Hollywood clearer than anyone else. Mm. Vincent Adultman, for example. <laughs> Everybody in Hollywood thinks Vincent Adultman is a, is a person, a fully grown man <laughs> who is very, very painfully clearly three small children under a trench coat pretending to be a man <laughs> with a broom for a hand. <laughs> A broom for a hand. He's got a he's got a plastic mannequin hand in the other. He's wearing a top hat and a trench coat indoors, Michael. I mean, come on, like a fedora. And Bojack's the only one who sees this. But everybody else in Hollywood was tricked by the facade, and and obviously they use that well as a commentary about mm. you fake it till you make it in Hollywood. But but it's not the only time though, because Bojack also comes up with this on numerous different occasions. He sees things that others don't see. 
again, with when it comes to Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter, those are two others who he just hones in on so perfectly. We'll touch on Todd. Todd's rock opera. Everybody else, when we see that performed, is wowed by this rock opera. <laughs> Even Virgil van Cleef, the professional, is absolutely blown away. And Bojack has stood there like, what? Like, what is this? This is this is just some rambling from a young guy who sleeps on my couch. This is ridiculous. But Hollywood is wowed by the mastery of a guy who, by his own admission, didn't even go to college, I think he says. <laughs> it's all... Bojack, though, again, is the only person who sees this. Mm. And is, he can't understand how nobody gets it. It all keeps tying together to this theme of him not feeling like he knows where his place is. Because just when he thinks he might, everyone in the room is an idiot. Somehow. <laughs> In a room where he's the stupidest, everyone else in the room is also an idiot. The other times, though, of course, Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd, every time they come up with a dumb scheme, a dumb plot with PB living, they pitch it to Bojack. And ironically, one, it's the one person who would hate it the most. Two, he's the other person who sees that it's the most ridiculous thing in the <laughs> world. How have they not spotted these ideas are stupid and that they are just floating from one dumb idea to the next? But their schemes often tend to end up, whether he is the one who spots them or not, they end up paying off and end up changing his life. If it wasn't for their stupid schemes, he wouldn't get Secretariat because their, their Halloween in January store with no floor ends up, <laughs> ends, up break, ends up breaking every bone in Andrew Garfield's body. So, And, of course, Mr. Peanut Butter as a whole has spent his whole life ripping off Bojack. <laughs> nobody knows. And literally nobody has ever went, oh, yeah, look, it's the same. <laughs> Not once. So Bojack spots that and he sees it and nobody else in Hollywood sees it. And honestly, just brilliant. Because what a subversion where the one guy who is so lacking in self-awareness can have the clear moment of clarity elsewhere, which nobody else seems to pick up on. Yeah. What a great subversion of that. However, I think now it's time for us to just wrap this up because we have been talking for so long, Michael, about this. But it deserves it, though. It's, we have it's... finally talked ourselves horse on season one, I think, haven't we? I think I've talked myself horse. I've talked you horse. I've talked me neighbours horse. I can <laughs> they're going to be very upset about this. But yes, before we go, mm -hmm. thank you for your continued support throughout the season so far. It's been a delight, and we cannot wait for season two. I'll get to that just shortly in a second. However, as always, you can find us at Podcast Horseman on both Twitter and Instagram. Please continue to get in touch, continue to share the community. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. You can follow myself on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can um, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we would really love it if you would subscribe. I know sometimes it appears in the feed, but clicking that button makes all the difference for us. As well, if you want to leave us a review, that would be wonderful, with five stars, of course. That will get you in the Hollywood talk of fame. You can see through our socials on Instagram and Twitter, the people have already got their stars. And if you leave us a, a little review, it doesn't have to be very long, but with those five stars, we will get an induction in a future episode. You can find the podcast on uh, Acast through our Twitter feed. You can find it on Podbean, on Stitcher, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast. Thank you very much for listening to season one, and we can't wait to get you along for season two. And speaking of season two, normally, again, we would have the synopsis for next week's episode. In the season one category, we've been rolling through, but we mm. do, of course, now it's time for season two, Michael. So yes. let's go over to Netflix then, and here is the synopsis for season two, Michael. Can you believe it? Oh. Season two, episode one. And we're growing up. We're growing, we're growing up. up. Although we're not, apparently, because we're right where we are found on a brand new couch, according to this episode <laughs> title. Brand new couch is the name of the episode, and the synopsis is as follows. 
Bojack believes an upbeat attitude will change his life, but that attitude doesn't mesh well with his new acting job. Mm. Well, mm. we've got him now eventually going to pursue his life as Secretariat. What's going to happen? Well, guess what? You'll have to tune in next week, Michael. Oh, very nice. Out for season two. I can't wait to get into it. And also, for anybody with eagle eyes, you might notice a few changes also to go with that season. But with that said, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.